And I'm back. I told you I would be. Hello, everyone. I'm Trish Regan. It's the Trish Regan Show. We're brought to you, as always, in part by our friends at LegacyPMInvestments.com. Legacy Precious Metals. Give them a ring. one 866 if you're interested in investing in gold or silver. And maybe if you just have a few concerns about inflation these days. Wow. Was that an interview or was that an interview? Were you guys watching last night? We were here right before the interview and I said, hey, you know, I'll be back tomorrow with clips and excerpts. And uh, wow, this is kind of a doozy because Putin's got quite an accusation that he's leveling on the United States of America right now and specifically against our CIA. So this, uh, this, this is, this, there's a lot of stuff to share from a lot of stuff and a lot of places to go, but I think we should probably look at the big kahuna first. I, I want to share with you some behind the scenes. Tucker was uh, kind enough, shall we say, <laughs> you know, I like him and I love that he did this interview. I don't agree with him on everything. We used to ha- hold shows opposite each other because I was on like the little red-headed stepchild network. That would be Fox Business at 8 o'clock, and he was on the big show on Fox News. But I, I, I definitely respect him and admire him for being willing to go over there with all of the odds stacked against him and the mainstream media out with knives, literally. And I mean, for goodness sakes, when you get Hillary Clinton on the attack, sitting down and telling members of the media all kinds of things about you, that's not a really good place to be. And, you know, the funny thing for the mainstream media and for the leftists that want everybody to just ignore this, ignore this as though it never happened. The funny thing is they actually elevated this. So, you know, Tucker's going over there. He's going to do this interview. And, you know, maybe people would have listened. Maybe they wouldn't have. But gosh darn it, weren't you going to listen once John Kirby over at the White House told you you shouldn't? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like they need to take a parenting course or something there, those crazy folks on the left. But, uh, and I want to show you all that. But be- before we do, again, back to this headline here, because this is a big accusation. And these rumors have been swirling and swirling and swirling and swirling because nobody can really make sense of what happened with Nord Stream, remember? Well, Putin thinks he has the answers. I'm not so sure of that, but it's worth hearing. Again, in the interest of all the information being out there, you know I'm never going to hide anything from you. I don't believe anything should ever be hidden from Americans. We need to hear all sides and then make our own determination. Let's watch Tucker Carlson with Vladimir Putin. (laughs) You for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have, do you have, uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, thank you, though. You personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. Do, do you have evidence that NATO or the CIA did it? You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. Because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. These two components should be connected, who is interested and who is capable of doing it. But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever. 
and it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the US, CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? <laughs> in the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? So it is possible to get involved in this work, but it is cost prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened, and even American analysts talk about it directly. So the reality is, we still don't know. They're still investigating this. Um, but it, it was, as Tucker points out, pretty much one of the biggest natural disasters to have ever happened. Somebody did actually engage in a very deliberate sabotage, and there are a lot of questions still as to who and why and how. And I, I mean, when you look at us, why would we do that? what were we trying to, to gain? This is the, the pipeline, of course, that fed natural gas between Europe and Russia. And why would Russia do it? I mean, if you think about it, why would Russia want to do that knowing that, that it's not going to be able to get paid, right, to be able to ship that natural gas? I mean, we did have sanctions in place. We were turning off the spigot, so to speak. And meanwhile, why would Europe do it, right? They need to get that natural gas. There's a whole lot of questions. And so there's a, a lot of opaqueness, shall we say, around this issue still. I credit him with saying, hey, well, where's the evidence, right? Like, we need some evidence. And he kind of laughs it off. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's just the U.S. And I, I don't buy that. I think if he has evidence, and, and maybe he does. And Tucker's right. Like, this was a pretty big deal. You guys have a pretty sophisticated system here. Wouldn't you have that evidence? Maybe he doesn't want to come forward with it right now. Maybe like he's, he's keeping that one up his sleeve. Maybe that's what Hillary Clinton was so worried about. Maybe that's what everybody was so worried about. I don't know. But it's clear that the mainstream media was absolutely terrified about this. They didn't want him to go and do this interview. They certainly didn't want Tucker doing it. Tucker talked about how he was even getting spied upon. He believed he was getting spied upon. He said he had been spied upon previously back in 2021. I remember him making those allegations at the time and being like, what are you talking about? What do you, you know, like it really seemed like it was out there and it was far fetched. He went on the show and he said, guess what? You know what? We, we have uh, good Intel that they are reading our emails and they are watching our phones. Well, it turned out, and he revealed this while he was in Moscow, it turned out that he was actually trying to land an interview with Vladimir Putin at that time, which means he would have been emailing back and forth and texting and whatever on his phone, on his device, with the likes of Dmitry Peskov, who's the top, top, top PR person. He's like the communication strategist for Putin, has been there for many, many, many years throughout the Putin regime and also Medvedev when he was in charge. So it's entirely possible that the U.S. government could have said, oh, you know, well, we got this thing called the Patriot Act. And because of the Patriot Act, we can look at your emails and your texts and this and that and the other. And actually, technically, they sort of can because they would say Russia is a country that we consider a foe. And therefore, if you have correspondence with people of interest, then that gives us the lead way we want. 
So he was worried about this back in 2021. He said he didn't get to do the interview. You wonder, did the bosses, did the bosses at Fox say no can do because somebody in the State Department said no can do? Like, does the State Department have to sign off whenever you get an interview? Like, they say, okay, you know, you can do the interview. We don't know the answer to that. But he did admit that he was concerned they were continuing to be tracked Oh, that said, I'm sure the Russians were tracking him too, you know, just to, you know, be fair and be completely transparent here. This is how things are done. I remember somebody super high up in intelligence, like super duper, 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 duper high up in intelligence. And I'm not going to say his name because I technically don't know if this was off record or on record and I don't want to completely leak it all. But I was doing a speaking event and interviewing this person and we were talking backstage about what had happened. Remember Angela Merkel when it turned out that we were tapping her cell phone and he was like, well, yeah, like that's what we do. Like we are in the business of trying to know what's going on in all these other countries with all these other leaders. So sure enough. And by the way, they do it to us too. So I'm sure that Tucker's cell phones we're actually being, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think that that's a crazy assumption. I actually work under the assumption that they probably are. I think, you know, it, it's not fun. That's, I, I should have a VPN sponsor on this show. Should I not? Like that was just the perfect, perfect segue for a commercial on a VPN. Um, because the reality is it's very hard in this day and age to stay anonymous, to stay uh, quiet and behind the radar. Anyway, I want to get back to more of this interview because it was really, really quite something. Um, There there were those accusations that were leveled against our CIA. And, you know, look, you have to recognize the reality. And I say this again as a journalist who wants to hear all points of views. The reality is he's talking his book just the same way Biden would talk his and ours, right? So you have to understand where all of these people are coming from and take everything with a grain of salt. All that said, I did find some of this very interesting, not just the Nord Stream thing, but also what he said about how he had wanted to join NATO way back when. So it's like, you know, he wanted to be at the cool kids table and Bill Clinton who seemed like he was one of the cool kids told him, yeah, you know, maybe it'll happen. Let's take a look at this clip. At a meeting here in the Kremlin with the outgoing President Bill Clinton, right here in the next room, I said to him, I asked him, Bill, do you think if Russia asked to join NATO, do you think it would happen? Suddenly he said, you know, it's interesting. I think so. But in the evening, when we met for dinner, he said, you know, I've talked to my team. No, no, it's not possible now. You can ask him. I think he will watch our interview. He'll confirm it. I wouldn't have said anything like that if it hadn't happened. Okay. Were you sincere? It's impossible now. Would you have joined NATO? Look, I asked the question, is it possible or not? And the answer I got was no. If I was insincere in my desire to find out what the leadership position was... But if he had said yes, would you have joined NATO? Mm -hmm. If he had said yes, the process of rapprochement would have commenced, and eventually it might have happened, if we had seen some sincere wish on the other side of our partners. That's kind of fascinating. 
right? I mean, is that not absolutely fascinating? You know, was, was Bill Clinton just sort of talking, you know, Hey, we're hanging out. Let me, let me, uh, let me start this off. Right. I could see him doing that. And then being like, Hey, yeah, now I, I talked to everybody. It's no can do. I mean, part of the point that he's making is that the leadership doesn't even matter. It's the infrastructure around the leadership that matters. And the reason why it matters so much is because there's sort of a, a, a group think. I mean, this is, this is the so-called deep state, right? That people worry about, but you know, the president comes and goes and the president certainly sets the tone for sure. And a lot of the policy tone for sure. But ultimately when you think about our relationships with all of these foreign leaders and these foreign countries, a lot of that's already baked in. And so you can imagine how those people in that infrastructure felt when Donald Trump came into town and suddenly was like, yeah, I'm ripping this Iran deal up. You guys spent eight years on this thing and it's gone. Well, a lot of people were upset. Like, you know, they, they pulled all nighters working on that Iran deal. They thought that this was the path forward. And all of a sudden, who is this two bit nothing to come in here and tell us we have to tear this whole thing up? Well, they did not like that. They didn't like it. Iran didn't like that. Iran's like, well, well how are we ever going to trust the U.S. again? Because, you know, you have one president who does one thing and another president who does another thing. That's a valid concern. I mean, it's Iran, however, so <laughs> I would just, you know, remember that one. Um, and I think that Vladimir Putin has felt a little bit of this whiplash and he feels as though it's not the leader that matters, but it's the group think within the so-called deep state, the state department, the intelligence operations, et cetera. I'm not making any excuses for him, by the way. It's just that for whatever reason, we have not been able to quite figure this out. And it's shameful that we're now in a situation where we are losing, I don't mean we specifically, it potentially could be we, but it, the world is losing lives over there in Ukraine with soldiers being killed. And, and this is just to kind of give it some reference. It's, it's sort of like Texas, right? Can you imagine if like all of a sudden Texas is, is a war zone? These days, sometimes it feels like it could be, right? I mean, with everything that's been happening with the border, but it, it's, it, it's hard for the people of Russia many of whom have relatives that have lived there or do live there in Ukraine. And so this is a very surreal kind of moment and devastating that we're in this. So wouldn't it be great to be able to end it? Well, Vladimir Putin says he's willing to. He's willing to. He, he'd work out a, a negotiated settlement today, but he doesn't see it as, as being in the cards. Let's take a listen to this. So I just want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding what you're saying. I don't think that I am. I think you're saying you want a negotiated settlement to what's happening in Ukraine. <laughs> right. And we made it. We prepared the huge document in Istanbul that was initialed by the head of the Ukrainian delegation. He affixed his signature to some of the provisions, not to so all of it. 
He put his signature and then he himself said, we were ready to sign it and the war would have been over long ago, 18 months ago. However, Prime Minister Johnson came, talked us out of it and we missed that chance. Well, you missed it, you made a mistake, let them get back to that, that is all. Why do we have to bother ourselves and correct somebody else's mistakes? I know one can say it is our mistake. It was us who intensified the situation and decided to put an end to the war that started in 2014 in Donbas. As I have already said, by means of weapons. Let me get back to furthering history. I already told... He loves history. It's very interesting. Uh, do you guys know Katie McFarland? She's wonderful. She's been on this show and she used to be a frequent guest on my Fox program. And Katie, I'll tell you, so much of what I've learned actually about Putin comes from Katie, who was a protege of Henry Kissinger's. So it, it, it's like coming full circle, right? Henry Kissinger, who just passed away, who was very much a realist on the international stage on the global front. And KT had said to me years ago, I can remember, what a student of history Vladimir Putin is. And that came through in that interview. I mean, Tucker talks about it. it he loves history, loves it, and is rooted in it. In a way that, you know, we, we should be. Every great leader, I think, if you want to have that patriotic pride, should really be steeped in history and enjoy it, revel in it, as Putin very much does. I'll tell you this, too. I mean, KT said he's very smart. She mentioned he's got a big ego, but he's very, very, very smart and very calculating. And that's pretty clear. In that, in that interview, if you watch it in its entirety, and you can get it on Tucker's website, that comes across. I mean, he is a smart dude. Whether y'all like him or hate him or are totally indifferent, he's a smart guy. I mean, I, I can't say the same for Joe Biden, but you know what? <laughs> hey, we're not all created equal. Um, Joe Biden is our president, and I am an American patriot, and I, I love America. But I will say that this is presenting a side of a leader that I do think is more challenging than perhaps we sometimes give him credit for being in the West. Let's take a look at what Tucker Carlson had to say immediately after the interview. He kind of went behind the scenes. It's like getting to go into the green room, except he's there at the Kremlin. How cool, right? And you see him talking about the importance of history to Vladimir Putin. So we just finished our interview with Vladimir Putin. Uh, we're in an anti-room in the Kremlin, um, waiting for our car to come, having a cup of coffee. I'm sitting here with the folder, kind of old-fashioned, I haven't even opened it yet, of documents that uh, Putin gave me. I've got my nighttime reading. Um, that was quite an interview. Uh, it, it began in a way I didn't expect at all. I'm still thinking it through. This just happened, so I, my thoughts are inchoate. But, um, I asked him, of course, the obvious question, which is, you know, why did you move against Ukraine uh, two years ago, February 2022? And he had said that he felt a physical threat from NATO within Ukraine, and he was worried they were going to bring nuclear weapons in Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera. So I asked him about that. He launched into, it, well, you'll see it, you'll see it, but a, an extremely detailed history going back to the ninth century of the formation of Russia from the tribes into a nation and Ukraine's part in that and uh, the Rus and and I, you know, I was annoyed and I thought, look, I just, you know, I, 
First of all, I'm American, so I ask you a specific question. I want a specific answer. Let's go. And he wouldn't. And I thought, and so I pushed him, and he got annoyed, and I was annoyed, and I thought he was filibustering, and maybe he was to some extent. But I concluded after watching all this, no, he, uh, he that was his answer, or that was the predicate to his answer. The history of the area and the formation of his country and the connection to Ukraine is like the basis or part of the basis for his Ukraine policy. So um, it was it was really interesting. Got much more interesting once I realized what this was, which is a window into how he thinks about the region. Then he went back to his hotel. So we're we'll see him here. We're back in the hotel room. Uh, it's I don't know probably around 10 o'clock at night. Um, we were there for almost five hours in the Kremlin, which is quite an experience if you've read about the Kremlin. I've never been to the Kremlin. Um, <laughs> not that different from the old executive office buildings, giant pile, 19th century, uh, warren of offices. Anyway, um, Putin was a couple hours late, as is his habit, apparently. Everyone who works for us laughing at well, he's always late. Um, but that, you know, I'm not exactly sure what I thought of the interview. It just happened. It's probably going to take me a year to really uh, decide what that was. Um, but a couple of quick perceptions. One, um, Putin is not someone who does a lot of interviews. Well, really any interviews. He's not an interview in almost four years. Um, he's not good at explaining himself. I didn't think. He's smart. There's no, I'm just, no question about that. Um, but he's clearly spending a lot of time in a world where he doesn't have to explain himself. So he, I, uh, sort of piecing to, that's one of the reasons I'm having trouble thinking about the interview as a whole, because he didn't sort of lay out his case very coherently, though if you listen carefully, and we were there for a long time talking to him, a couple of things rose to the surface. One, he's very wounded, and I suggest this, but of course he denied it, but it's obvious, he's very wounded by the rejection of the West. The United States doesn't like Russia. The U.S. government doesn't like Russia. I think like a lot of Russians, he expected the end of the Cold War would be sort of Russia's invitation into Europe or sort of into Europe because it is a European country that's half in Asia. Uh, but there's a lot that's European about it. And if you come to Moscow, it's a very European city. You see it and you can feel it culturally. Um, and the West rejected Russia. And maybe, you know, I'm not even taking sides in this. Maybe there were good reasons. I don't know what they, what they would be, but... Um, but in case the West was determined not to be allied with Russia, that's very obvious. That's the whole point of NATO, I guess, is to contain Russia. Um, and Putin is wounded by it. He's very upset about it. His eyes flashed uh, when we talked about that, as we did, you know, for probably over an hour. Um, he didn't have a coherent theory that he was willing to tell me anyway as to why that is. Mm -hmm. um, Russia's not an expansionist power. Sorry. You're not supposed to say that because all the Tory and new ones and all the liars and ideologues who run the State Department um, want to make him into this, you know, Hitler, Imperial Japan. But the truth is that that's just false. It's just stupid, actually. You have to be an idiot to think that. Russia's too big already. It's the biggest landmass in the world. They only have 150 million people. And they've got, you know, 80-some effectively provinces or semi-independent states but different nationalities and religions and languages. And I mean, imagine managing all that. They've got more than enough natural resources. They're, they're swimming in natural resources. They don't have enough people in their view. So the idea that they want to take over Poland, why would you want to do that? 
Um, they just want secure borders. Maybe they're too paranoid about it. Totally possible. Again, not taking sides. But the idea that they're going to roll into Vienna or something, you'd have to be like an idiot to think that. It's just not true. There's no evidence of it, actually. And the professional liars in Washington really don't know anything about the area or really anything about the world beyond New York have convinced themselves or I think he's trying to convince you that this guy's Hitler and he's trying to take this to Aid land or something. It's like not analogous in any way. Whatever Putin's many faults, okay, um, it's not an expansionist power. So uh, I can't even recall my point exactly other than he is, <laughs> to the extent he's angry and that it's obvious, he's angry because he feels like, whoa, why, you know, I thought we were going to be friends. Um, and again, maybe that's his fault, but he's definitely mad about it. Uh, yeah. And the second thing I would say, which I thought was kind of, kind of really striking is that he was willing to admit that he wants a peace deal in Ukraine, um, and sort of give it away and just say that out loud. He said it a couple of different times. Again, maybe he's lying in ways I didn't perceive, but he kept saying it. And I don't know why he would say it if he didn't mean it. That's why he did the interview. Um, and of course there is, as a matter of fact, uh, there is evidence overwhelming that there was a peace deal or part of a peace deal at the beginning of peace talks, a settlement of some sort on the table a year and a half ago that the former prime minister of Great Britain, Boris Johnson, scuttled on behalf of the Biden administration and convinced Zelensky and the Ukrainian government not to enter into these talks. I mean, that's kind of an established fact. The Israelis were there. They revealed this. And that happened. So, but Putin, for his part, again, even talking about Putin, you feel like you're flacking for Putin. I'm from La Jolla, California, not flacking for Putin. I'm, you know, please. Um, I'm just trying to assess this rationally. Uh, it's interesting that he's willing to say, yeah, I want some kind of settlement. And the final thing I'll say is that if you're wondering who the lunatics are, um, U.S. officials have said on the record and have said to me um, and are telling a bunch of people that part of the terms have to be Russia giving up Crimea. And without getting into the whole history of Crimea, um, here are the facts. It's, you know, the home of Russia's warm water fleet. It's got a Russian population. They had a referendum. It chose Russia. Uh, it's part of Russia. It's where Russian wine comes from. Um, so you could like that or not like it. But the fact is Putin would would go to war, nuclear war, if it came down to Crimea. So if and by the way, Crimea was in Russian hands at the beginning of this war. So it's like if you really think that a condition of peace is that Putin's going to give up Crimea, then you're um, you're like a lunatic. And and they are. I mean, they want a weak leadership in Russia. And the question is, why would you want that? How is that good for the United States? I'm not defending Russia. I'm defending my own country. A weak central government in a nation with the world's largest nuclear stockpile is insane, especially a country as large and potentially fractious with this many languages, ethnicities, religions, 20% Muslim population. You're just going to sort of let the nuclear stockpile float free and hope the best thing happens. You're a freaking nutcase if you if you desire that. <laughs> And we are yeah, run it's by a good cases. point. The so I don't want I don't want to steal all of Tucker's thunder here. We have to get to the Trump and, and Supreme Court stuff. But guys, you know what? He's totally right. So Tucker Carlson, thank you for that. You can see the whole thing on his website. But wow, I mean, it, it, he's bringing us some really good points. And again, I say this as somebody who loves our country and wants nothing but peace and prosperity. Right? Why? 
why would we want to sort of tinker with if we, if we if we've come to the conclusion that he's a realist leader, right? I'm going to go back to the Kissinger School of Political Science. We want realists out there. So if we want somebody who's not a religious nut job, but is a realist in terms of understanding balance of power, etc., and and he has nuclear weapons. Why would you actually want to have somebody who might be a danger or a threat? I mean, you think about Iraq, for example, all right? Saddam Hussein, boy, did we get that one wrong, like really, really wrong. And uh, Biden was part of that camp that got it really wrong. So was Blinken, our current secretary of state, and Clinton as well. I mean, they all got it wrong. And this is not to sort of point fingers, but again, our State Department got it wrong. And you have to say, all right, maybe the benefit of all of this flow of information, the fact that I can stream here live with you, that you can come and see this every day and that we can talk in a live chat. I'm going to get to some of your comments in just a moment. The fact that this information is flowing more freely, I realize scares the heck out a lot of people, a lot of powers that be, but hopefully it enables us to actually get at what really is the truth. Because had somebody reported the other side of the story back when we were, were going a zillion miles a minute into Iraq, a zillion miles an hour, then maybe we would have actually had a better outcome and the world would have been more stabilized as a result. So I think if nothing else, I'm not, I'm not projecting my view here. I'm not certainly, you know, as he said, trying to defend Russia in any way. I'm only saying like, let's look at all sides, right? And let's continue to have an in-depth discussion and learn more, learn more. I mean, one of the things that did strike me as interesting, I, I do believe he actually got into this in the interview, was, you know, there's a Wall Street Journal reporter that's being held captive over there in Russia. And it's a real tragedy because he's a journalist over there covering Russia. Putin's accused him of being a spy, and he doubled down on that accusation in the interview. And the problem with that, of course, is any journalist who's out there doing a good job and trying to get the story and get information is effectively, while they may or may not be sanctioned, I don't think that this guy was sanctioned by the U.S. government, but he's getting information that gets printed in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, Putin's calling him a spy. Well, what, what do you think? What do you think is going on with Adam Kissinger, Colin Tucker, a traitor, or another guy? who used to work at Weekly Standard and was part of the the operation there under Cheney, Dick Cheney. He was his chief of staff in the Bush administration. So, oh, what am I saying? Oh, goodness, no, it was Quayle. He was Quayle's chief of staff, so not even Cheney. <laughs> it was probably heavier lifting because he had Quayle. Anyway, he's saying that Tucker should be held at the border when he's coming back into the United States of America. So you see... Our own people are making accusations against a journalist trying to do his job, perhaps the same way that this young man from the Wall Street Journal was trying to do his. I'm just pointing out what should be obvious, and this is layered, and there's a lot of different sides to the story, and there's a lot of different components, and our job as journalists and, frankly, as Americans, as individuals, is to think all right, let's put our brains together and think about what's really going on. And don't let history get written by the likes of people that just want to advance their own particular cause and their own point of view. For what? For why? I mean, we've been down this road before, have we not? 
Anyway, this is exactly what they're doing. NPR coming out with a big headline, just trashing Tucker. Is You know, they, they got to discredit him however they can. Tucker Carlson, the fired Fox News star, makes bid for relevance with Putin interview. Gosh, you guys, you're so darn jealous, aren't you? Really, really jealous little group. They write that the right-wing television provocateur Tucker Carlson interviewed Vladimir Putin in Moscow in an exchange fueling both the Russian president's anti-Ukrainian rhetoric and Carlson's drive for renewed relevance in his post-box career. Whoa. First of all, he's no longer on TV. He's streaming, baby. We're all streaming. This is the way to go, the way of the future. Uh, Hillary Clinton, she also had to take a couple digs. I mean, this is when you know you're like, you know, the iron's hot. Why would they bother? Right. If it was just nothing, like, why did they have to come out and slam it before they even saw it? For goodness sakes, she went on her favorite network that, you know, state TV, that it is MSNBC to hit him hard before the interview had even aired. I mean, he's like a puppy dog. You know, he somehow has, after having been fired from so many outlets in the United States, he, uh, I would not be surprised uh, if he emerges with a contract with a Russian outlet because he is a useful idiot. He says things that are not true. He parrots Vladimir Putin's uh, pack of lies about Ukraine. Uh, so I don't see why Putin wouldn't give him an interview because through him, he can you know, continue to lie about what his you know, objectives are in Ukraine and... and uh... <laughs> You know what, Hillary? I think we've learned. I think we've learned not to trust you. I mean, I'm going out on a limb and everything, but, you know, I do recall that it was your team that bought and paid for the opposition research, which led to that Russian dossier, which led to Trump campaign, Trump's campaign getting spied upon. I'm talking about Carter Page back in the day. And then it sucked up four years of oxygen. And how often do we have to listen to Rachel Maddow tell us breathlessly about some new development in what turned out to be a total scam? So do you really think that we're going to sit there and just take your word for it? I think the smarter thing to do, ladies and gentlemen, is to do your own research and to ask your own questions and try and seek out your own answers John Kirby over at the White House doesn't want you to do that. He says, no, 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 the American people, they know what to believe. They, they know what to believe. They're going to believe what we tell them to believe, right? Here's John. Do you have any concern that Tucker Carlson's interview with Vladimir Putin could further erode support for Ukraine in the United States? Um, I, 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 <laughs> know we're convinced that there is strong bipartisan support on Capitol Hill for supporting Ukraine. Um, and we know there's efforts now to bring something up onto the Senate floor for a vote that would have Ukraine, Israel, Indo-Pacific, and humanitarian assistance, so supplemental funding in it at, and without the, the border. Uh, we'll, let the fo we'll, we'll let senators work that out. The president believes that support for Ukraine is critical, particularly right now, uh, as Russia continues to try to uh, hit their defense industrial base, continue to hit their units on that battlefront from, from east to south. It, it, it's vital. Uh, and he's confident that uh, – and he and based on the meetings he's had with, with leaders on Capitol Hill and the discussions he's had, certainly uh, uh, over recent weeks, uh, that, again, the leadership, even on the House side, the leadership is solidly in support of supporting Ukraine. Now, whether they're going to – how they're going to be affected or impacted by – 
a television interview? I, I couldn't begin to, to, to guess. <laughs> He's like, you know what? They know what to believe. They're not, they're not going to. And by the way, hey, Kirby, it's not TV. It's, it's streaming. It's streaming. You know, they're all living in a different era. I see so many of you. You're still going on about who's going to be VP. So I'm actually going to send out a poll right now. It's going to be Tulsi, Sarah Sanders, Marsha Blackburn, Carrie Lake, Governor Nome. Who should I, I, I have to take one person off because I can only put four people on. What do you think, guys? Governor Nome? If we're going with a female, I'll let you, uh, I'm going to start this poll. You can tell me what you think and we'll read, we'll read the results as we get into some of this and discuss it. But look, they, they, they don't like that he did this. I think it's fantastic that he did it. I think the more information, the better, the better, the better. They're going to circle the wagons all day long. They're going to, you know, put it down. They're going to put him down. But eventually history will dictate what the, the final answers are. And I think it's going to take a while to have it all shake out. It's fascinating. I'm glad he did it. I love the sort of behind the scenes thing. It is this sort of new media, if you would. All right, a little bit of good news for all of you. It looks like Donald Trump is going to be on the ballot after all. The Supreme Court of the United States of America in a fascinating session. I'm telling you, we are on the front lines of history. You are here with me. Thank you for joining because this is a very special and very important time. And yes, the president of the United States, I think almost unanimously, I mean, other than, well, there's this, this one Biden appointment who doesn't seem especially swift. I got to say, what do you hear her question? But anyway, you've got those justices out there. And if you listen to the tenor of their questions, they really sound as though they don't think they can put this little, what, 14th Amendment Section 3 clause into being, the one that deals with the whole insurrection thing, because it turns out you actually have to be currently an insurrectionist in office. Like, there's no provision to actually deal with somebody who's already out of office and then is going to be elected or run again, other than maybe having Congress vote on it and they would need a two-thirds majority to actually be able to do that. But one thing that struck me is just fascinating, and it's so, so interesting, guys, is this little part of this 14th Amendment, Section 3, in which it says that um, that, that uh, basically the president or you know any of these members of Congress, et cetera, they take this oath to support the Constitution of the United States where it can be a problem is whether or not they have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to enemies thereof. Aid or comfort to enemies thereof. I mean, so so long as we're going to go down the path of the insurrection, by the way, which he has not been, he's not even, I don't think the accusation is even insurrection. He has not been proven guilty of that, and there has been no trial yet. But anyway, this whole given aid or comfort to enemies thereof, think about that. Iran's an enemy. Didn't Biden just give them $6 billion in that hostage exchange? I mean, wouldn't that put him in violation, frankly, of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, ratified July 9th, 1868? That might make a little sense. Justice Alito picked up on this, and boy, oh boy, the Colorado attorney representing the state. He was no match for Trump's attorney, but no match at all. He's sitting there like a bumbling idiot. Uh, 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 he doesn't really know what to say. No, we wouldn't apply that there. We've never applied that there. Take a listen to this exchange. It was my favorite. Thank you. Thank you, counsel. Uh, Justice Thomas. Justice Alito. 
Then suppose there's a country that proclaims again and again and again that the United States is its biggest enemy. And suppose that the President of the United States, for diplomatic reasons, think that it's in the best interests of the United States to provide funds or release funds that, so that they can be used by that, by that country. Could a state determine that that person has given aid and comfort to the enemy and therefore keep that person off the ballot? No, Your Honor. This Court has never interpreted the aid and comfort language, which also is present in... So no, no, no. We've never looked at that before. We, we wouldn't be doing that because, by the way, once you do one, you kind of got to do the other, right? And that's why this is so important. And then you listen to some of these other questions. I mean, Kagan was great, and she is not exactly conservative, ladies and gentlemen. Let's listen to Justice Elena Kagan in her questioning. Now, there has to be some process for determining those questions. And then the question becomes, does anything in the 14th Amendment say that only Congress can create that process? And, and Section 5 very clearly is not an exclusive provision. It says Congress shall have power. But maybe and put m- most boldly, I think that the question that you have to confront is why a single state should decide who gets to be president of the United States. In other words, you know, this question of whether a former president is disqualified for insurrection uh, to be president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it would be given just a little too much power, just a little, I'm saying, to the state of Colorado. And by the way, if that's the precedent, then going forward, hey, anybody who doesn't like anybody can say, well, you are an insurrectionist. I remember that time you were protesting. You know, I remember that time you said X, Y, Z. I remember that time you didn't go over to the Capitol building because your Secret Service wouldn't allow you to go over. And, well, there was a total failure and nobody bothered to call in any kind of reinforcements. But it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. And you're not going to be on the ballot. Really? Neil Gorsuch. Oh, this was just fantastic. He totally destroyed this Colorado attorney who, by the way, I don't think is going to have a big career on the appellate side I still got to say, Trump had a heck of an attorney. More on that in a minute. But listen to Neil Gorsuch totally destroy this guy from Colorado. That this court has held. You're not contesting this or asking us to revisit that decision in Thornton or term limits or whatever you want to call it, that it has to come from some federal constitutional authority. No, we are not, Your Honor. Okay. And, and, and here we're not talking about the qualifications clause, Right. Um, nobody's talking about whether he's 35 years old or natural born, whatever, right? The, not, not an issue, okay? We're talking about something under uh, the 14th Amendment and Section 3. So that's where you have to find your authority, right? We find our authority in Article 2, in states' plenary power to run their elections. Federal election, but this is for a federal office. It has to come from the Constitution, and you're seeking to enforce Section 3. We're suggesting that in their broad power to determine them, to select presidential electors in any manner they see fit, they can take account of Section 3 and apply Section 3. Could they do it without Section 3? Could they disqualify somebody for, uh, you know, on whatever basis they wanted outside of the qualifications clause? That would run into term limits. Yeah, I would think so, right? So it has to come back to Section 3. And if that's true, how does that work? given that Section 3 speaks about holding office, not who may run for office. It was a point Mr. Mitchell was making earlier, and I just wanted to give you a chance to respond to it, because it seems to me that 
that, you know, that, that you're asking to enforce in an election some uh, uh, context a, a provision of the Constitution that speaks to holding office. So it's different than the qualifications clause, which is all about who can run and then serve. Yeah. I don't know that it is different. Okay. Other qualifications for office similarly talk about eligibility for the office. There's nothing unconstitutional about a 30-year-old trying to get on the back. Except for this disability can be removed, right, under Section 3. That's what's different about it. So... <laughs> it's like, you moron! <laughs> what are you doing? We know what he's doing. He's playing politics. He's playing politics, and it's really revolting. It's disgusting. You may not like Trump, but guess what? The American people do. And if the American people want him on the ballot, if the GOP wants him on the ballot, and by the way, that's what it certainly looks like, then guess what? He needs to be on the ballot. We are a, a, represent, a representational democracy, right? We, we, we elect our leaders. That is our democratic process. And you're going to go behind our backs and try and manipulate the law of the land to prevent us from that? I don't think so. This is a big score, a big win for everyone, for America, and of course for Donald Trump. And believe me, he knows it. Look at how happy he was. He's like trying to contain it, right? Because he can't be too, too happy. He's kind of slammed the court on a few occasions. And by the way, I've got something coming up because he might have reason for pause in just a bit. But on this one, I think he's going to win. Take a look at him outside Mar-a-Lago talking to reporters about this very issue. So I just say that uh, in watching the Supreme Court today, I thought it was very, it's a very beautiful process. I hope that Democracy in this country will continue uh, because right now we have a very, very tough situation with all of the radical left ideas, with the weaponization of uh, politics. They weaponized it like it's never been weaponized before. It's totally illegal, but they do it anyway. And it has to stop. Every one of the court cases that I'm involved, every single one, civil, whether it's the attorney generals or the district attorneys, you look at Fani in Georgia. They had many meetings with the White House and with the DOJ. They went there, eight-hour meetings. That was all staged. That was a phony hoax. And now you look at it, and it is a phony hoax. And hopefully that case will be dismissed in short order. It's a, it's a disgrace to this country. But they worked together with the Justice Department and the White House, and not supposed to do that. Every one of these cases you see comes out of the White House. It comes out of Biden. It's election interference, and it's really very sad. Uh, I thought the presentation today was a very good one. I think it was well-received. I hope it was well-received. You have millions of people that are out there wanting to vote, and they happen to want to vote for me or the Republican Party, or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase it. But I'm the one running, and we are leading in every poll. We're leading in the... Uh, local polls and the state polls and we're leading in the swing state polls and we're leading very big in the national polls so it's been a very great honor yeah it's donald trump talking about the polls so he is actually leading in all the polls, except for one that's the quinnipiac and you know like we talked last week i was like ah you know he's really got to keep an eye on this who's going to be his vp because you want to bridge this gap 
and we've talked about it and we've talked about it and we are talking about it. I've got some polls out there for you guys and you're weighing in. Does he need a woman? Maybe not. I mean, hey, we, we talked about this as well. And Leslie, I know you weighed in on this. Look, women are tough on other women. And so that makes it harder in some ways. I mean, it is what it is. I, 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 we can have a whole podcast on that one of these days. <laughs> Why is it that women are so hard on other women? I don't get it. I'm not like that. But then again, I'm, I'm also the, the, the wonk that just sits there and cares about tax policy and international policy and this, that, and the other. But it is the reality of what it is. So if women are going to be harder on other women, you got to find the right woman the right woman that's going to have that kind of appeal, that's going to be able to reach out and bring in some of those independents. Or maybe you say, is there a man that will have that kind of appeal with women? If you can't find the right woman, I'm just, I'm opening it back up. I'm opening it back up, right? Because we get time. We get time until he actually makes the final decision. He knows that. He said that. He thinks he knows where he's going. He has actually, as we understand it, talk to some important people and some of those names you've heard bantied about already. They've talked about Ben Carson. They've talked about Byron Donald out of uh, Florida. They've talked about Tim Scott. And again, they're, they're trying to seek a way to bring in some people that may otherwise not typically vote for Donald Trump. And specifically that involves the black community, which he's, he's polling very well with. It's one of the reasons why Joe Biden is so freaked out right now, because he's down 20 points with the black community. And this was supposed to be sort of a, a stable go-to fertile ground for him. And I mean, look, people are people and it doesn't matter if you're black or white or orange or green. I mean, Hey, look, if the economy is not doing well and Oh gosh, do you have that chart drew? I love this chart. I, I'm going to, I'm putting you through your paces. I know there's this one chart that I absolutely love because they want to sit there and tell us the economy is great. The economy is great. The economy is great. And this is why I say, no, it's not great. And the reason it's not great is because nobody's looking at this one particular number, this number that is more important than anything else. And that is income adjusted for inflation. I told you I was a wonk Biden compared to Trump. And look at where Trump is. You had so much more money in your pocket. Look at those numbers versus Joe Biden. This says it all. Thank you to our friends at Yahoo Finance. I actually was like painstakingly crafting this out myself. And then I'm like, oh, they did it already. So credit to them. Um, but the, this is the number here that you have to think about. Too often we have the mainstream media, including the likes of the New York Times, writing some economic report and they're like, oh, wages are up. Wages are way up. And I'm like, adjusted for inflation? I don't think so. And then when you look at them adjusted for inflation, guess what? They're down. They're down. Hey, this is the, this is the be all end all. And this is why he is doing so well with so many groups, including black Americans right now. This is why Trump is ahead. This is why Biden is down. And this is what is, you know, between this and... <laughs> the special counsel not being able to actually move forward with charges because he's too old. This plus the mental frailness, the age, I think that's just going to, it's game over. I don't think that he really has a shot. That's why I'm so interested to see if they really do come through and they try to run someone else like a Michelle Obama. I know they're talking about it, but remember he runs the Democrat party right now. He's the president of the United States. How do you kick him out of his slot? How do you kick him out of the spot? You can't, that's a really hard thing to do. And then you factor in a little bit of anger and possibly I'm just saying, I'm not a doctor, but it seems like this mental frailty 
there's another word for it, but I want to be cautious again because I'm not a doctor. But if you combine all these things together with his anger, it makes it even harder, right? He's getting kind of belligerent. He's getting very stubborn. He doesn't want anybody telling him he has to go. So this is the sort of internal debate that Democrats are having right now. But it all goes back to that chart, I'm telling you. Hey, um, before I go... I did tell you about legacy precious metals. I want to tell you again, because as we talk about inflation, et cetera, we get the Federal Reserve even admitting it's a big deal. If you're concerned, call these guys. They're wonderful. Charles is often in the chats with us, um, really good. And I do want to just reach out to some of you and, and get your poll results here because, oh, you like, there's someone you really like in these poll results. I'm going to get to that. Hey, John, I also want to give a shout out to a brand new team member. We've got John Bartlett joining us. Thank you so much. It's great to have you here. So many team members coming on board. Reganites, as we're calling ourselves, we're going to come up with some official levels and names, et cetera. But John, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being here and for joining as a team member. Um, it's really, it's, it's great to see you all again on this Friday afternoon. I did this little poll just a, a short while ago, maybe about 15 minutes ago. And Wow. You guys really like Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota. Uh, Christy Nome there winning the day with 40% of the score. Sarah Sanders coming in number two, second at 31%. Then you've got Carrie Lake coming in at 26% and Marsha Blackburn. Guys, what about Marsha? Only 4%. Down in Tennessee. She's a senator from Tennessee. So very interesting. We should do these more often. I, I'm going to do these more often because I, I'm curious. We can do it for sort of the men that are out there too, because I don't think we should totally ignore them. I do think that it's challenging. Like Christy, know my lover. I think she's super smart. She's um, a, a well-spoken woman. She knows how to play second fiddle, so to speak, right? You know, if Trump is out there and he's sucking up all the oxygen. It can make it harder for somebody like Carrie Lake I think Governor Nome could actually be very complimentary to him. And I think that she'll relate with soccer moms, but she's darn pretty. And I say that as a television producer, we'd put her on TV all day long. The question becomes, does it play in Peoria as much? I, I think it should, but I, I just throw that out there because it's trickier than normal. It's trickier than normal when you go to the woman. Sarah Sanders, for sure, she's like America's sweetheart. Her dad is fantastic. I like him a ton. And um, he knows the ropes and she knows the ropes. And she's a straight shooter. Everyone worked with her when she was in the Oval, uh, well, in part of the Oval Office there on the team for Donald Trump. And she was an excellent press secretary. So she is one to watch. She's a mom. Marsha Blackburn's a grandmother, so she also, I think, carries some sway. And I'm only pointing out she beat Taylor Swift once before. Don't forget, because Taylor had it out for her in Tennessee. And sure enough, Marsha won the day. Anyway, again, great to see you all. Thank you so much for being here. Wonderful to see so many familiar faces. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Don, encouraging you all to subscribe, to like to share, to do all of those things. And we will resume lots of stuff coming your way. I may even be live, but we will definitely resume, of course, as always, on Monday. I'll see you then.